Double Rucker. Thank you for joining me once more for an edition of Accelerate Us, Dispatches from the Front Lines of the Local Economy Revolution. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you today because this is one that I have wanted to do literally for years. Willie is, I'm grateful to say, a colleague and a friend and someone that I have learned so much from over a lot of years. When I started working in economic development and in entrepreneurship and small business, I had no real awareness of how different that experience can be and usually is for people who do not come from a privileged background, particularly if you're black, if you are from a low-income background, you can find just the, the very basics of starting a business to be extraordinarily difficult. Not necessarily because you don't have the skills, the savvy, the knack, the capability to do it, but because you have perhaps never had the opportunity to live and work with people who are entrepreneurial. And that's a deep challenge. And it's a challenge that Willie's organization, the Greater Cincinnati Microenterprise Initiative, strives every day to address. GCMI works with low-income and predominantly African-American potential and existing entrepreneurs throughout the greater Cincinnati area. And as Willie describes in this interview, the work ranges from technical training on things like how to handle QuickBooks to loans to a very a very unexpected skill set that I'm sure Willie, as a former banker, probably never thought he'd have to bring to the equation. And that is the ability to coach, to encourage, to, to help people who may have nobody else in their lives telling them that, yes, you can do it, to believe that they actually can. As I mentioned in this interview, I have the honor to be the vice chair of Willie's board of directors at GCMI. And I have learned more from my experience with Willie, with the businesses that GCMI has supported, and with the moments of privilege that I've had to be able to see just a little bit through the eyes of people whose experiences aren't a whole lot like mine. That's a gift. And that's a gift that I'm grateful for every time I talk with Willie and his colleagues at GCMI. So I hope you really enjoy this conversation. I hope it's eye-opening and insightful 
and encouraging for you, but I think it's also important that you realize that this is pointing us to needing to do the work of economic development, of urban planning, of community development in a very different way from what we have normally assumed. As Willie's going to point out, coaching is absolutely centrally crucial to this work with these communities, but nobody wants to pay for it. And microloans are absolutely essential to helping people who need very small amounts of help often to get over the initial humps to be able to get from a survival or maybe a failure to a business that can thrive, can employ others, and can set the kind of, of powerful object lesson for everybody around them. But microloans don't pay for themselves very well. So one thing that I hope you take away from this conversation is a realization and a readiness and a willingness to step up for these kinds of crucial entrepreneurs, crucial, essential small business in these communities and in all of our communities and really rethink how it is that we help them. So thanks again for joining me and I hope you enjoy and go get them. So welcome to everyone who has joined us today. My name is Della Rucker. I am the principal of the Wise Economy Workshop, and I am so delighted today to be able to have a conversation with one of my longtime just friends and people that I admire and people that I've been so honored to be able to work with and learn from. And pretty much anything that I understand about the the issues that we're going to talk about today, 98% of it, I learned from this guy. So Willie Hill is the executive director of the Greater Cincinnati Microenterprise Initiative, which is a nonprofit corporation that works with low income and predominantly African-American and other underrepresented uh, entrepreneurs and small business owners to help them grow, to establish, to grow, to thrive, and to, to expand. And we're going to talk about a bunch of things today relating to how that work goes in Cincinnati, but also on a national basis. So we'll be talking about some Cincinnati-based models, but we're going to talk about those because I really felt like as I've worked nationwide, there's things that that you know, as I said, I've learned from Willie that I've learned from my involvement with GCMI and that I that I think are important, both challenges for all of us to be aware of and lessons that perhaps we can apply to, to communities nationwide. 
And for sake of truth and advertising, I will also say that I've been on Willie's board for several years now. I'm not exactly sure how many. Um, it the time has flown by. It's just flies by. It just flies. <laughs> like I can't believe it's already been 27 years. How could that be? <laughs> um, but I'm also currently I have the honor to serve as the vice chair of the board of directors. So we're going to try not to play too much inside ball, but so that you know that that I'm coming from you know a place of of some familiarity with Willie's program. Um, Willie, why don't you start out by telling the folks a little bit about yourself? Tell them about how you got involved in in GCMI and why you've been working with it um, for for many years. You you've been involved with this organization for you know long before I knew it existed. Yep, sixteen years now. It's kind of kind of a long time, right? I know, right? Uh, so thank you, Della. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, I've been in, uh, I've been in financing, uh, started off in banking, uh, you know, I was, you know, at, at a, at a financial institution for over, you know, 13 years and, uh, an opportunity came up to be able to be a business coach. And, uh, you know, my passion has always been being able to support, uh, individuals and support them with their financial needs. And, uh, the opportunity to become a business coach uh, popped up and I, I wanted some flexibility. And uh, and so I took the job and then the executive director position uh, opened up here at GCMI. And uh, and I thought this was a great opportunity for me to be able to uh, shape, um, you know, and mold, um, you know, how I would how I thought I could benefit, you know, Cincinnati. I'm born and raised in Cincinnati. So I've always been proud of that. And um, and so I, I love helping my community. So. Mm -hmm. GCMI, uh, when I first started, it was actually interesting uh, from the standpoint that I did approach it like a banker. and um, Which was I, your first career. Which your was my first career. So, and I had to learn some things about nonprofit, but learn some things just about supporting small businesses mm -hmm. uh, because I did take it from a lender's perspective. And uh, it took me a couple years to really figure that out. Uh, but once mm -hmm. I did, uh, I really uh, fell in love with entrepreneurship, and I think it is uh, a problem solver for the world and uh, for many individuals that are in poverty. and um, And I think it's uh, an important skill set that can be taught. Um, and but it, it is is important uh, for me, I think, just to be able to have uh, GCMI in this community uh, to be able to serve this population, because uh, as we know now more than ever. Uh, you know, having entrepreneurial skill sets are going to be going to be needed in order to you know progress forward uh, through this uh, pandemic. But uh, you know, so I've been working with GCMI to, to really try to mold us a little bit more into that space where we're serving uh, individuals in terms of helping them with their skill set, and at the same time uh, helping them with the business development side of uh, owning and starting a business, and then making sure there are resources for them to be able to do this. Excellent. Excellent. And you, why don't you tell us a little bit about typical GCMI, we usually call them clients, okay. right? So these may be people who are taking some of the courses, who are 
getting coaching. And these are all things that we'll talk about as, as we go through our conversation here, uh -huh. but also about, um, you know, in, in, in some cases they become people who can receive microloans from this organization. So tell us a little bit about the folks that you're working with on a daily basis when you're not having board members and, you know, us folks showing up. There you go. Uh, well, uh, you know, our client typically is, um, you know, the, the avatar has been a African-American female, uh, you know, three children, two, two and a half, three children, high school educated, uh, and usually have been on some assistance for um, some period of time in their, in their life. Um, you know, that's probably 65% of the individuals that come to us. Um, and, um, you know, our focus on that, that client is that client typically comes to us because they're in transition, uh, either they're in transition from their jobs, uh, transition in terms of their career. Um, you know, they are, um, looking for, uh, opportunity. Uh, and I always say this, and I've said it to the, uh, to our board and I've said it to others and especially practitioners that when, uh, we, when we see clients and, and they come to us, it's almost like they're looking, uh, and it is, that they're looking for hope, right? Yeah. They've exhausted um, a lot of different things. They've exhausted employment opportunities. They've exhausted, um, you know, hustles and, and things along those, along those lines. And, uh, and they want something different and they want to know that they can try something different. And that's who typically comes our way, especially in our classes. Uh, they, they are exploring and, and, and wanting to, you know, want some confidence that, hey, this is something I'm able to do. And, um, and you know, we, we the, the, my number one goal uh, is when they come to me, uh, it's pretty simple. I want to provide them a safe place and a safe environment to learn and to grow. And, and I don't mean safe as in safety, you know, it's a safe learning environment where they can ask the questions, where they can feel compelled to, um, uh, you know, get trusted resources um, to, into, into their, uh, uh, to answer their questions. So, uh, and that's what I tell them when they walk through the door. I wanna make sure that they're coming to me and they feel safe that they, because they are so vulnerable mm -hmm. and, and we take that very serious. You know, we take that very serious because the, the minute we break that, we break their trust. And we don't, you know, you know already that they're coming to us with a little bit of hesitation. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's who's coming to us. And it, it is, uh, you know, we're seeing those that can't find employment that could be um, individuals with criminal backgrounds. Uh, we're seeing it, like I said, it, we're going to see a whole lot of more individuals which who just lost their job. Who will uh, who are trying to figure out you know what their next steps are because uh, they can't go back to what they're doing and um, and so they have to make some choices and part of who we who we are and what we want to make sure about is to help them with those choices if it's career if it's employment if it's business ownership we believe entrepreneurship and our, and developing that skill set will be able to help them so that's who's coming through our door for our classes and then. From a lending standpoint, it's a little bit across the board. We're getting established business owners and uh, some established business owners, but you know, 80% of my portfolio are startups. And so, you know, we've we've helped startups, and that's what we try to focus in on as much as we can. But uh, you know, we try to help those that come through the door and uh, to be able to help them. So, so I, I definitely want to talk about the the lending 
um, because micro lending is such an unbelievably crucial piece of this equation. Yeah. And as I've learned from you over the last several years, um, just how difficult micro lending um, can be to to set up as an effective tool. Um, but before we get there and before we talk about the actual sort of classes and programs and systems that GCMI offers, let's let me if 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 you don't mind, and I'm I'm grateful to be able to to talk with you about this because a lot of times, you know, people who look like me are scared of saying the wrong thing or you know just 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 stepping on stepping right. in something they don't want to step in. Um, so so I'm grateful to be able to to kind of ask you this question and and kind of you know demonstrate a little bit of of you know, ignorance. But we talked about these folks as as looking for hope, as looking for confidence and needing a safe environment to learn. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of folks, um, and as you acutely know, um, Cincinnati, for example, is, is chocked with programs for teaching people to be entrepreneurs, teaching people to start their own businesses, you know, yada, 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 yada. And a lot of cities have a lot of programs like that. Right. So why is this needed? Why is the GCMI system needed instead of just having those folks participate in one of the other things that's available to the general public? Okay. Um, th um, thank you. That's a great question. Um, you know, I've always felt that um, there that there always there always will be a trust factor that um, that we that you have to have in order to work with um, a vulnerable population. Number one, um, but two, um, you know that they have been. Uh, looked at or they've been in systems and that's the part of it they've been in systems that have not always been friendly uh there's not always been uh customer service um friendly in terms of that and very process oriented so um so building trust is an important piece and having organizations that um like a gcmi that can bridge that uh, because I think it's so important to be able to have a program that is going to be able to bridge the learning that needs to happen and still connect them to the resources that they need. Mm -hmm. um, because connectivity to resources is probably the biggest challenge of most of the smaller businesses and minority businesses. Um, being able to have that type of connectivity um, and with confidence is a huge piece. And, um, and you want we want to be able to provide that sort of uh, mechanism. Like one of the things that we have in our one of our classes is what we call validation night, where we bring in professionals to just hear, you know, uh, our small business owners, uh, not their pitch, but just their business concept and have them talk through it uh, and to be able to get some honest feedback on it from professionals or marketing person, or just to be able to, to have that, that touch point um, helps build their confidence and helps build their uh, understanding about what's needed for their business. And it, it's just important to have organizations that are going to be able to provide that uh, piece. Um, and again, I said that trust factor is an important piece. 
And I think one of the crucial things, you know, I, I sat, I've sat in validation a couple of times really in the back corner um, or I, I try to be in the back corner as much as possible because I know how important it is for, for the folks who participate to get that validation from people who look like them. Mm -hmm. And in most cases, that's not me. Right. So, um, you know, one, I think one of the things that they, they do get out of that experience, or at least that's been what I've observed as, you know, kind of an outsider sort of kind of in a weird sort of place. <laughs> um, Cause I'm like, well, I'm kind of in and <laughs> whatever. Um, but, but, but they, they, this is an opportunity for them to, um, maybe get a, get that kind of validation that they haven't been able to get for their um, for their concept, for their business, for, you know, and in, in some cases for, for themselves as a person who's capable of doing this right. with wager. One of the really interesting things that um, I came across recently, I don't know if you've seen, this is a black and white version, and it's probably backwards to you. No. But it's the, the tapestry report, um, tapestry of black business ownership in America, that came out from AEO uh, two, three years ago, something like that. And one of the things that they call out in here, and I can't find the page right now, of course, because I was looking for it three minutes before we got on here, is the importance, both the importance of training and that training actually, like formal classes actually have a higher benefit for underrepresented business owners than it does for, excuse me, for, you know, anybody else. But also that that trust factor is so unbelievably crucial. And, you know, it that's such a fragile thing. Mm -hmm. And I think when you describe that, you know, these folks are have very often been in systems that were not friendly to them, that were not really supportive, but were just trying to get things through, that... Yeah, that's 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 an absolutely crucial piece. And I think that's one of the really important reasons why programs like GCMI are are so vital if we're going to enable folks to to, you know, kind of make that leap into the future that they want for themselves. Yeah. In a lot of cases. Yeah, no, I, I'm in agreement with you. I, I think it is um, um, you, you can take the 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 SBA programs, the relief programs, as an example, that, thank you. Um, you know, it is for them to, uh, uh, to be able to uh, do an SBA deal, right? <laughs> and all the things that are associated with SBA and, you know, government and everything, you know, things like that, that there's a hesitation, you know, there's an initial hesitation. And uh, so there's conversations that need to be had um to be able to help them to help mitigate that and it's just a reality you know good bad or indifferent it's a reality that people are going to be hesitant we're hesitant very hesitant about applying through something through the government uh which yeah. we felt was a government government so mm -hmm. um, so it speaks it speaks to that you know that there is a hesitation and there needs to be some of that bridging and i, I think bridging is a really important way to put it um 
So, so let's talk a little bit about the programs that GCMI provides, because I think they start to give us a picture of a portion of what that bridging looks like. And then we'll talk about coaching, how important coaching is and what that looks like, and also about um, micro lending. But I'm kind of seeing those, and I, and I think this is what you've taught me, is to really see those as kind of a continuum yeah. of building that trust, of building that, that – um, that agency, that self, that yeah. self ability. Yeah. Um, so GCMI's um, sort of GCMI has a really interesting sort of entry level. I don't know if entry level is the right way to put it, but but a program that is a little bit different from the kind of standard. Here's how you do marketing, and here's how you write a business plan, and all that. Yeah. And and of course GCMI does that. We yeah. could talk about that next, but. Um, what let's tell folks a little bit about Ice House and particularly why Ice House is part of GCMI's toolkit. Okay, um, so we, you know, like most business development programs that are in our space, uh, they all sort of have a traditional um, type of curriculum that that they use, and most of them are, you know. Most of them have been modified a little bit to help to be to include like lean startup principles and things like that included in there. But most of them uh, have to be basic, um, you know, because one, because some of the, the level of individuals that are coming to us, um, like I said, are more high school educated. Um, and believe me, we've seen people, their doctorate, masters, you know, associate, all of the degree levels take our courses. But um but you know, a larger majority of them are high school educated or some college. So, um, so you want to make sure that they can understand it, and, and you're you're putting them in uh, a place where they can feel comfortable. So we always say it's not we're not academia, right? We're not here to give you a C or a B or a D or whatever it is. That's not what we're here. We're here to help you understand some of those the fundamentals of operating and starting a business. So all of us had that component. And we saw that as a, um, you know, we did that for years when I first got here. Uh, but what we learned also is that people learn differently and people advance differently in terms of uh, their their um, what their needs are. And so we created a second tier, which we call our business too. So we had an entry level and then we had the next level, which was those that were ready to move forward. We felt were ready to move forward because we have our entry level class and we do not turn anyone away. Um, okay. so we, we, we let anyone attend the class. There is a small nominal fee um, and that's more just for skin in the game, but it is, uh, we, we want to hear what their concept and ideas. And that's why it's important for us to have that entry level class. And, uh, and so we accept anyone, um, but for our next level, we, we, we talk about business too, we do uh, select those individuals. So we'll hear your idea, a concept about what you want to do, and, and, and you show us that you're ready to move forward, you're dedicated, we'll move you to that next level. Um, but, um, you know, but, you know, everyone doesn't make it to that next level, but we give them an opportunity to later if they want to, but they need some coaching and, and some support to be able to get there. So, but, you know, we want to make sure that they're ready to move forward. So. But what we found in that process is that uh, part of what they're, they're why they are, aren't able to move forward is because they don't have the skill sets as a, that an entrepreneur needs in order to move forward 
um, they're going with a concept and idea. And we learned about the Ice House program about developing entrepreneurial mindsets and developing entrepreneurial skill sets. And that's such an important piece to be able to have, especially when you're coming from a disadvantaged situation. Uh, the curriculum is based on eight principles of an unlikely entrepreneur uh, who was an African-American male in the 1950s in the Mississippi Delta uh, who owned his own business. Um, and um, and these principles are told um, by his um, his uh, nephew and uh, and uh, and uh, and the co-founder of the curriculum. Um, they you know, validated these eight principles with uh, over 300 successful entrepreneurs. And, um, and so it's about developing the mindset. And we, after uh, you know, being exposed to it, we knew we needed this to be able to be a game changer for those that are coming out of poverty, in poverty, or dealing with a disadvantaged situation or obstacles and how to overcome it. Because it ultimately is all it is about is about problem solving. It is about being able to understand how to problem solve and building that skill set. And the more you build that skill set, you will start solving problems for yourself because it, you'll you'll have this skill set and you'll be able to, to adapt it to whatever you need. So the Ice House program is something that we've really ex, uh, expanded on, uh, and we we think is for us it's an important component of our of our program. We're not going to go away from the business development side of what we do, um, but we definitely felt like we needed to add a, a mindset and entrepreneurial skill building component. Uh, and this house program uh, provides that for us. Yes. And um, so people can learn about, you know, kind of the basics of the Ice House principles, actually through a book that's available anywhere you buy books. Um, mm -hmm. The book is called Who Owns the Ice House? Mm -hmm. um, so pretty easy to find. I have a copy um, that I that I downloaded when we first started talking about Ice House and I was trying to understand it. The lovely thing about the curriculum is that it takes that book, which is which is kind of a lot of it's a, literally the stories. Yeah. It's the author telling the and the author is the guy who invented the Stairmaster. So, yeah. you know, he's yeah. got some cred. Uh, <laughs> but it's the author telling the story of what he saw and heard and learned from his uncle, who was this ice house owner. Mm -hmm. uh, Willie, what's the name of the company that produces the curriculum, just so that we're, we're yeah. fair to Joe and company? It's our Entrepreneurial Learning Initiative, it's uh, Eli, um, and they are out of uh, Mentor, Ohio. And mm -hmm. um, so uh, Gary Shoniger is the, uh, is the founder and uh, so, um, you know, he, he does a great job of, of telling that story and, um, and helping people understand the power of entrepreneurship. Yeah. And you, you said something that I, that I really want to kind of put a nail in before we move forward. Okay. And the, the thing that always, you know, really impressed me about Ice House is that it is about it's it's about something that that we've always considered kind of squishy but we're realizing now i think on a macro level more than ever is really where the important stuff is and it's the question of mindset it's yeah. a question of what kind of fundamental thinking skills do you bring to the table so it's you know as as um excuse me, as GCMI does, you know, it's perfectly important to have classes where you talk about, you know, how do you run a business? How do you handle your 
finances? How do you um, figure out your market? How do you how do you do this work? But teaching the the thinking skills that lay the the underpinning, lay the foundation for how you do that work is is absolutely crucial. Mm-hmm. And um, you know. Ice House has been a, a, a great tool in part because it's not just that one guy's story. It is, you know, hundreds of videos with underrepresented um, entrepreneurs of all types. Um, and you guys are actually, you, you've now, you guys, GCMI, GCMI has now actually migrated um, Ice House online, right? Mm-hmm. You're launching the first online. Yeah iteration like what next week or something uh we just had our uh second class yesterday so it's uh it went well so it's uh it it is uh it is an adjustment but yeah i mean it the curriculum is uh there's an online learning platform so video lessons video i mean blogging um you know there's a system in which uh all the participants can be a part of and be able to communicate and uh so it actually lends itself well for that for us to be virtual. So we had our, you know, official first class last night in terms of the actual class. We did an intro and uh, did some things in a, in a, uh, on Tuesday, but uh, last night we had our first class, which is the power to choose. And, um, you know, you speak about mindset and importance of it. Uh, the first chapter is called the power to choose. Uh, first lesson is the power to choose. And uh, we explore and help them explore choices and what influences choices and what influences their value system and um, and having a better understanding. And there's a lot of reflecting that happens in that first class and individuals start seeing themselves a little bit differently and how do you do you react or respond to circumstances and uh, some, you know, some people react more than they respond and, and understanding what that means. And, uh, and so it, it is, uh, it, the first class is always very personal. And, it, and, and, you know, but it is a fundamental piece and uh, helping individuals understand that they do have choices um, because a lot of individuals that come to us feel, feel like they don't have any choices. Things are being dictated to them. Um, you know, this whole pandemic is it is it's affecting everyone. Right. There's a lot of things that we are that we are, you know, sort of being dictated to that we're, we have to do. But the, you still have choices. Uh, within these things and you still have choices to be able to you know uh, reach your goals and objectives and and so um so you know again the mindset is such an important piece and and you know i didn't realize it again i I went through cycles of being here and i didn't realize it till you know several years ago that i was introduced to the curriculum on how important it is um, overall for everyone but how much more important it is for disadvantaged individuals to be able to, you know, put their minds in the right place and understand that process of being able to solve problems. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. So, so people will participate typically in business one, which is sort of basic introduction to, um, you know, what it takes to develop a business concept, and um, they do validation in business one. No, that's in business two. Okay, so, so you're do so. Business one is basically a very simple opportunity to sort of sketch out um, what a person might want to do and do some kind of early preliminary testing of it. Yeah. Is that correct? 
Yeah, we, we just want to we want them to be able to express it and, and get it out and be able to put it down on paper because a lot of them have never done that. They've never put it down on paper. And so we're we're forcing them to put that put it put that down on paper and have somebody, you know, help them with that in terms of being able to help assess and evaluate and give them perspective. So everything's been here. Everything's been in their head. And, you know, our majority of the time, too, is that for business one individuals, they're coming to us because they have a skill set that they think they want to turn into a business. Mm -hmm. And the skill set does not mean it's a business. Right. It just means that you have a skill set. And. But how do you make it a business? And um, and so that's what they need help with. So it is really about, you know, we want to see them come out with a uh, concept or understanding the concept and how they think they can market it and then get some of the basic things they need, uh, you know, components of a business plan. Uh, you know, some of the, uh, the things that go along with that, you know, what are some of the, the structure of businesses and and what that really means and why it's important to you, things like that. So. So we want to give them a little bit more of a foundation. But for us, it is for us to be able to see who's ready and who's wanting to, who can move forward. And that's, you know, that's what we, that's how we use business one. So we've got business one, we've got business two, which is more like what people who've gone through accelerators, um, you know, in, you know, any one of a hundred programs would, would find familiar, at least in terms of the broad outline, the flavor is, is different and that's unbelievably crucial to this particular um, population. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we've got Ice House sort of running alongside it um, as as something that not everybody does, but but is there, you know, if it's if it's a value to that person. Right. But one of the things that you've referred to as we've talked through these sort of more more um, programmatic pieces is and you've used a variety of words as we've gone through. You've learned, you've talked about support. You've talked about, um, you know, helping them. Um, and in a, in a sense, all of that is coaching. And coaching, I, you know, is one of the most important things that GCMI can do. It's also one of the hardest for GCMI to do. So yeah. why don't you unpack that both from the point of view of why coaching is important, um, particularly for this audience, for the for this uh, this population that GCMI serves, but also for um, just why it's difficult to support. Let's just put that out there. Okay. Um, well, um, you know, the, the coaching aspect of it is uh, an important piece just um, one for just sheer uh, building of confidence of these business owners. Um, you know, they are, you know, they are, they're like I said, they're vulnerable when they first start off that they don't know. And sometimes people don't want to know, want you to know that they don't know. And, um, and so, but what they're struggle what they struggle with is all the, some of the aspects of business. One of the things is we teach a Hispanic class um, uh, business, uh, sort of like a business one in terms of Hispanic, um, you know, is, is taught in Spanish. And I, I have a Hispanic uh, instructor who coordinates other, you know, um, instructors. But uh, one of the things we, we understood with that population is that they wanted more about the systems, uh, the business systems and how to navigate them. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that was very important for them. And in, in, in terms of that structure and being able to to have something like that. And so mm -hmm. 
you know, for our traditional clients, you know, it is close to that same piece that they really are need support to be able to ask questions uh, and feel good and, and have a, a trust factor with the answers that they're getting. One of the most powerful things which we are unique about in business too, is that it's not one instructor who teaches business too. I have mm -hmm. industry professionals who come in and teach certain subjects. So if it's IT, if it's uh, you know marketing, if it's social media, if it's accounting, so those serve as coaches as well. So they're actually being taught and then they can work with those individuals from a coaching standpoint in their industry, right? I, you know, one of the things that I, I try to make sure about uh, from a, you know creating a safe environment is that my instructors understand that they're not to solicit business from these individuals. They're here as an outlet for them to be able to provide them with the answers and support to the questions that they might have um, so if somebody, uh, you know, is needing some new computer equipment and to be able to have the connectivity that could call my coach and say, hey, you know, this is what I'm looking at. What makes sense? Does this make sense? This is what they're charging me, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're getting a response. And that's such an important piece to have in terms of technical assistance and coaching. And um, and we want to be able to uh, provide that for the individuals that are coming to us. Um, and, co and that's what technical assistance and coaching brings to the table. It is resources um, that they need to be able to get some of the questions answered that they need answered. And the, the challenge with funding is, um, is because it's not always, it doesn't always result in that person opening a business um, directly. And, um, and when they do open a business, uh, it is, uh, it is, um, uh, maybe a year later, you know, there's times when we've taught people and they've gone through our classes and then, you know, we've tried to stay in touch, but all of a sudden we, you know, we haven't heard. And, you know, we're saying that they opened the business a year and a half later. Right. Yeah. And like, Hey, you know, and, but they're trying to longer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just, it's, it, it does. And we, you know, we want to make sure we, we under, we understand that. Uh, but funders don't always understand that. Right. They you know, they want to see you have those results and because uh, we're more results oriented now. And it's, it's OK. We want to be held accountable. But uh, working with this population, it takes a little bit longer uh, to get them to where they need to be. Um, and, you know, one of the other great things that we've learned about our program is that um, uh, that uh, we going through business one. Let's just say if a student went through business one, we've had a couple that have go through business one and business two. Uh, you know, they're 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 with us four months almost, you know, with uh, you know, with the whole transition. Uh, if they're in ice house, if they take ice house, they might be there a, a little bit longer, you know, five months total. Um, so that's a that's a lot. That's a, some time for them, for us to be able to get to know them um, and for them to be able to build more confidence in them to be able to, you know, potentially open a business. And, and part of it that sometimes they're still not ready. Right. They're still not ready. And I think that's part of why we really think the mindset piece is an important piece, uh, because they have to go through that process of, of, of understanding what it really takes to be successful and and do all the things as they're going through this. That is 
you know, you know, building their community, right? Which is building their their network of resources and um, understanding the financial side of it, um, being able to be confident enough to talk about their business and mm-hmm. recognize who they should be, you know, sell who their target segment is and how to communicate to them and how to connect with them. All those things are taking you through that. You know, you're going through that process, and uh, it takes time. It just takes time, and 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 so that's part of that challenge. Good. Now that's that's well explained. I appreciate that. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about. Um, you know, I don't want to make too neat of an arc about about this, because people who it's not like you know you you start in one and you just kind of magically progress through. Uh, but one of the things you know we've talked about you know kind of the two different types of of training we've talked about the importance of coaching and in a lot of cases you're coaching businesses that you know are in that in between space where maybe they've done um business too but they haven't launched yet right um and they're in that in between process that you just described so beautifully um another place where you do a lot of coaching is in the preparation for and then the receipt of the micro loans. Mm-hmm. Now, the the interesting thing with GCMI, and this is I'm I I might not know, but to the extent that I know, I'm not aware of another organization in the country that is both an entrepreneurship training provider and a CDFI, a community development finance institution. And I think you told me that, or you've told the board at some point that uh, GCMI is the smallest G- the smallest CDFI in some universe. <laughs> we are in Ohio, I know for sure. We're definitely, the, it's definitely the smallest in Ohio. Yeah. Um, and the, the primary purpose of GCMI's CDFI, that's a lot, a lot of letters, but the primary um, thing that GCMI does through its CDFI function is to provide microloans. So can you talk a little bit about the microloan program? A little bit, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but kind of generally how that works and the benefits you see to that, but also the challenges. That come so that was like a lot to cram into like one question to you. Well, the um, you know, micro lending is um, I think is a very important piece for uh, for community development. Um, you know, most micro lending that is out there in, in multiple cities or other cities, um, they are sub programs of larger CDFIs. Um, we are a loan fund. Um, CDFI. So our focus is uh, on smaller, and um, and and so you know, the, to be able to offer microloans is an important piece for us, and and we are very blessed, and our partnership with the city of Cincinnati has been a very uh, great partnership, um, and um, so, but it's an important uh, part of that process for um, for smaller businesses to be able to have uh, the flexibility. Um, of the underwriting uh, that that goes with typical micro loan programs, uh, like I said, most are startups, and it is harder for um, 
CDFIs and financial institutions, larger ones, to work with startups. Um, you know, people were putting there, you have to be in six months or, or most are over a year before you apply for some financing. And, um, and so- I'm sorry, I just wanna unpack this a little. So meaning yeah. most CDFIs have their requirements are that you have to have been in business for at least a year. You mm -hmm. have to, um, what are some of the other typical requirements that end up precluding a lot of startups and um, and businesses that are owned by people who are underrepresented? What are some of the barriers that they're encountering? Uh, well, credit. CDFIs. Yeah, well, well, credit is always, always going to always there. So, you know, the, the threshold for credit scoring is there. Uh, the issues associated with credit um, that go along with that uh, is a challenge. Uh, documentation sometimes is a challenge to require documentation. Um, um, you know, just, uh, you know, having, um, you know, tax returns or having, um, you know, financial statements. Some want, you know, would like prepare financial statements and most CDFIs have a lot more flexibility now, but, um, but things like that, you know, um, that, some of the businesses that are starting off just don't have or they or it's not i would say it's not as uh, i'll use your word they're, they're squishy right they're not no <laughs> they are not um it was using squishy different <laughs> <laughs> right. but they it's, it's just not uh, as clean um we always say things got a little bit hair on it they got a little bit too much hair on it right so <laughs> they don't want to mess with it at my patient or no. Um, but uh, but so, the top looks like you're good. You're good. I took it off and uh, so it's a challenge for a lot of the uh, you know smaller businesses um, to be able to provide that information and um, and then you know the process again, you know, when you think about it, um, um, you know, I'll I'll use another PPP example. So uh, the businesses, I had a hair uh, hair salon, right? That no employees, but just 1099 people, right? Um, and, you know, she couldn't apply, didn't have anything, didn't have much to apply for the PPP with SBA relief. Um, she didn't have much and, you know, sends me her statements and, you know, she's, she's doesn't want to pay taxes, right? So she's, you know, making sure that she's utilizing her expenses and how to, you know, put that on there, uh, you know, have the expenses. And so she doesn't look like she has much income, right? So that's a problem, right? When you're trying to borrow and to be able to look at that from a different lens is an important piece. Um, um, for, you know, especially for loan funds to be able to be able to do that. But a large CDFIs, you know, that cash flow is not going to, it's not going to show, right? We, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's things like that or that you, you have to take into account. And, um, you know, and the, like I said, the whole credit piece, you know, we try to work with individuals who have credit issues and we don't have a, a credit score threshold. Um, you know, I've done 500 or, you know, low 500, you know, deals, but 
we try to do things to help mitigate risk. So, um, you know, about the only thing we don't really mess with if people are passed on taxes. That's probably uh, the only thing that we 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 try to stay away from. Um, but we've done some deals. But, you know, there has to be things in place that mitigates that risk. But uh, but we'll work with them. And, and so having that flexibility is important. So so just to kind of kind of tie up a couple of things you've said here and really make sure that they're um, that people are hearing those clearly. So number one, your standard CDFI is establishing um, sort of benchmarks or standards for applying for grants or loans or whatever, um, particularly grant, particularly loans rather. Um, that are requiring certain things that if you're um, if you're less of a uh, if you're a little less mainstream kind of business if you're smaller you're newer um, you've been operating in uh, more of the manner that that we often see with businesses that are trying to make a go of it in underrepresented communities that you probably may not have all that stuff in place and one of the things that GCMI um, works very hard on doing with its micro lending is making sure that we're making sure that GCMI is kind of managing um, that risk without relying on a lot of the standard tools for assessing risk, like a personal credit score. Mm -hmm. um, the sorry, go ahead. No, I mean that's that's good. I think it is. Um, it, it, it's, 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 it's not to say that we don't take those things into account, right? But it is to say that we won't exclude them, right? We don't, we're not going to exclude them. And, and the great part about our process is that I have a loan committee. So my loan committee makes the decision. I don't, I don't make the decision. My business coaches don't make the decision. It is about packaging it and putting it in the best uh, perspective uh, in terms of, you know, the loan package for our loan committee to review. Um, and by packaging, I just want to, I just want to make sure that we're making these terms clear. Packaging in this case means they're asking for this amount. We're going to give it to them at this rate. We're going to put these conditions on the loan in terms of repayment, recapture, et cetera, et cetera, in order to mitigate GCMI's risk. Is yeah, that that's, that's that's probably on the on the end of that process. The packaging is, hey, um, you know, this is what's showing on your credit bureau. Hey, let's go go get a plan of action with them and talk to them about this. Get this back in writing that says, hey, um, this is my plan of action of repayment, and let's include that in the file, right? That is, that is sort of the packaging or, you know, here, this is what your financials are telling you. Or this is what your financials are saying, but it doesn't talk about it in this way in the business plan. The narrative doesn't match what the financials are saying. Okay. Or, you know, things like that. That's part of the packaging. And it's not all just about the documentation, which is an important piece of the packaging, but it is packaging the loan. So it is viable. It is a viable um, request. And that's the goal is to make it as much of a viable request as we can. And believe me, my own committee doesn't approve everything. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, they take a look at these deals and they try to put it uh, in that package. But 
Uh, the great part about it is that, and I think this is an important piece whenever you're doing with startups, is that you have to be able to, it has to be a reality check on whether or not you can meet the numbers that you have in there. And mm -hmm. the narrative explains that. So it is, you know, those two have to match. And, and if, if it's reasonable that it's that this could occur and the connect, you know, if, you know, you're going to be able to generate this and how you're going to generate it. And, you know, you're going to build these relationships and or you have some of these things already in place that mm -hmm. makes sense. Then they'll take well, that's what we want to present and making sure that package is presented to the loan committee. And what you just described, Willie, is an incredibly labor intensive process mm -hmm. as opposed to when you know, somebody goes to a bank and they look at your income statement and they look at your credit history and they say, you know, like that, just based on very simple information, right. what you're having to do in order to make that a viable pitch to the loan committee. And if I remember correctly, the loan committee is is not just random schmucks like me. It's it's people who are who are professional lenders. Right. They, not, every, not everybody. There, there are some schmucks like you that are. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no. <laughs> I had to give you the word schmuck. I have to work with here, buddy. <laughs> I know. Oh, my bad. Uh, no, you know, we uh, we do have, uh, you know, some business bankers. We have uh, community people and we have business owners. So, you know, you know, the business owners sometimes give the best perspectives on in the loan committee. Like, hey, this doesn't make sense. Their staffing is saying they need to do this, but how are they going to do that? You know, they they need to be able to look this, this, and this. So, like, I can take that feedback and say, hey, you need to go back and look at this and, you know, things that I might not have or my coaches might not have looked at to, to in, in the packaging piece of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, it, and, and sometimes it's a fluid process too. Like, they could say, nope, they need to go back and do this, this, and this. We need to, you know, get these numbers validated more. Right. Yeah. And so not this. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a process. It is. It is. So that adds even more time, right? So you know that that you you're going back and and um you know and because the deal is being tabled and they it's something that has some viability, but they need more to be able to make a decision. So um, it is not always cut and dry. So so that gets us to potentially the most challenging piece of this at all of all, which is that the smaller and more unusual, atypical, um, unique the loan is, the more time you have to invest into it. Yes. Right. Yes. So. It, standard banker, you know, a standard bank or a CDFI that's relying on most of its own, you know, ability to generate income from fees and interest and all that kind of thing. If they can do a big loan with a certain amount of work, that gets them more revenue than if you do a small loan, right. with the same amount of work. And now you're talking about doing a small loan with even more work. Right. So, I, and, and this is something that, you know, we've been we've been struggling with as a board for a long time. Yeah. Um, and it's the question of. If micro lending is so important. In order to generate and, and give new businesses and businesses in underrepresented 
communities to give them that chance to get started. But it takes this much work. Then it, a, a conventional lending model doesn't work. Right. So, so, you know, I know that we haven't figured out how to, you know, solve that yet, but I think that is a core challenge um, that faces all kinds of initiatives to foster entrepreneurship among people who aren't anybody who's not uber privileged, basically. Yeah, I think, um, I, think, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, cause we're talking about the CDF, CDFI model and I've had some, some thoughts about the CDFI model um, that it, it can become challenging for micro lending. And um, um, simply because, you know, you, you have to grow and maintain your portfolio in order to be able to, um, you know, be supported by the interest income in order to have staffing, in order to have the things that you need to manage the loan fund. And um, one of the great things that, you know, of being a loan fund is that I'm not dependent right now on, um, you know, making loans. I'm not dependent upon having to meet a loan goal to, in order to keep my portfolio a certain size to be able to have the interest income. Um, but that brings the challenges of being able to pr provide, you know, TA, uh, because I, you know, I'm, I'm having to go out and try to find alternative uh, sources of, of funding to be able to um, to do the uh, the technical assistance that takes longer, right? So you know, it's sort of a catch twenty two in that sense that I'm not. I'm, I need to spend more time with them, but I'm not doing the large enough deals to, to be able to have the interest income to be able to pay for staffing. So it's 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 a challenge for smaller loan funds. And I've said it before that, you you know, if you're CDFI, you're either going to be a smaller loan fund and try to stay in that space and or you got to be you got to grow and be large um, the way the model is. And, and I think mm -hmm. that makes it a lot tougher. Um, if you don't have the assets to be able to get to that level uh, and there is a gradual growth, but I think you also lose that connectivity with the micro loans and being able to do more in the micro space. Uh, there's just not a lot out there doing micro loans. So um, we've got a, a question came in saying, um, is it as easy as saying that a certain percentage of your portfolio will be a startup or high risk or whatever you want to use? And I think the person who wrote that question is getting at the idea of, you know, how do you balance a portfolio so that it's self-sustaining? And this is a question that we've, you know, we've had um, because there are other and I'm, you know, maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth, but because there are other, you know, there there are large lending sources available. The gap that we've really seen is in the micro space. We meaning GCMI. Mm -hmm. you know, that gap that is our mission to help address is really in that micro lending space. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this this gets to that big question we've been asking, which is. In one future alternative scenario, we could continue to be a loan fund, meaning that we're working with money that other organizations, in our case, predominantly the city of Cincinnati, have provided for the purpose of loaning out. And then there's a little bit of income, you know, that comes to GCMI from, you know, percent the interest rate and whatever, um, but not enough to really support the amount of work that they're taking. 
Um, a different model, which larger CDFIs often take, is that they'll do really a few really big loans. Mm -hmm. And those are very stable. They're low risk. They're pretty close to what a bank would be willing to do. Mm -hmm. And they use the income, the, the, the interest income from that to support the rest of, of their work. The challenge that we've encountered is that that requires a capacity that we can't grow to, we don't think we can grow to naturally. And we meaning GCMI in this case. Um, and that if the mission is to serve microloans, you know, that's, that's, that's a different mission from providing the kind of, of funding that a port authority or in Ohio, the um, finance fund or, or some of these other kinds of, of very large um, funders will do. Yeah. I, I think, and, and maybe if I'm, you know, if it's question, can you read this question again? I just want to make sure. sure. She asked if it was, uh, if it, it was as easy as, kind of setting a standard for your portfolio and saying a certain percentage is going to be startup or high risk or whatever. And the rest of the portfolio, this is the part that's being implied by that is more low risk, more mainstream, more stable, more, you know. More yeah, I think from what my understanding is not as simple because it's all rolled up into, you know, you know, the 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 overall delinquency of their of the of whatever the loan fund is so it's all going to roll I mean uh, the the uh, portfolio is so it's all going to roll up uh, I think the risk is is that you know, part of what the risk is is that you you're wanting to um, you know because we deal with, with more grant funds and not borrow funds it makes it a lot easier for us to have more flexibility um, and I think that's an important piece but when you're borrowing funds. Uh, the repayment of that those funds you're putting yourself at risk and and you want the you know larger cdfis have to mitigate that and i understand it and they again it's it, cdfis are, are a much needed role in our communities they are and because uh you know again they are bank financing is at one level in terms of criteria and then cdfis are below that uh for certain deals to get to allow more flexibilities that banks are not allowed to do but they're uh, they're borrowing uh, at a lower rate, uh, you know, from these financial institutions to do these deals, and so. But even on the micro side, right? There's even more risk uh, in terms of these deals because they are startups. They are, you know, a little bit more things are involved in that. So, um, you know, I'm sure there are some that have allocated a certain dollar amount to being able to do the to, to, to do those uh, micro deals, but. Uh, how much and how much they're actually doing, I'm not uh, necessarily yeah. sure, but uh, all of it rolls up into their delinquency. And so that is a concern for them to be able to go borrow more dollars to do more deals. They have to keep their delinquency at a certain level. Yeah. And I, and I think that's that's a really, really. So so there's a question of what their delinquency metric is um, and the more riskier loans you take the more that delinquency metric is going to be impacted but the other piece that i think is really important to make sure that we're saying clearly for the sake of folks who um you know aren't exhaustively knowledgeable about cdfis is that most cdfis are not they're 
they're borrowing from mainstream lenders. Is that correct? So they're yeah. borrowing, they're borrowing from banks. They're borrowing from whoever else. They can get monies from foundations and uh, and, and not all of it's always borrowed, but a large majority of, especially for larger deals, it is borrowed, right? And they are, you know, if they're borrowing it at 1% and they're lending it out at 5%, they're getting that spread on the on the interest income. And, um, and so, yes, to answer. But if you're going to borrow at that level, you have to, um, you're, you're at a risk, you know. I, I think it's that piece of the risk that I wanted to make sure the risk that the CDFI, the CDFI is undertaking by um, taking that loan, mm -hmm. even if they're going to repackage it, even if they're going to get that, that interest spread, they're still running the risk that if that loan goes bad, they're on the hook by Correct. over here. You can see the gestures. Um, <laughs> So I, I think that's an incredibly important piece. So that that's all important. You know, I, I hate to end on the point of like this thing that we haven't figured out how to solve yet, but I think it's really, really crucial for people to understand the constraints that CDFIs are under, especially when it comes to this micro lending space. Yes. Um, and we're now past, um, we're, we're just barely past the hour. Um, you know, I don't have to cut away for, for sponsor identification or anything. So, you know, <laughs> not that we don't have to be that tied up on things, but, um, is there anything that you want to, um, kind of say by way of closing anything that you want people to, to understand about this very broad range that we've talked about everything from, you know, the, the experience of people who, have been disadvantaged and you know had these negative experiences with with programs in the past all the way up through this you know technical stuff around cdfis um you know no i i just really appreciate you you uh allowing allowing my voice to be heard um i think um you know i i want to represent the micro right micro businesses and um and the micro lenders um you know, we are going to go through a challenge right now in funding challenges, um, but our businesses are going to go through a lot more right now um, to be able to uh, stay uh, alive. And I would say, I don't say alive, just competitive, right? It, the, the whole market is going to change. And, um, you know, our ability to help them understand how to pivot right now is going to be a critical piece. And, Pivoting right now and being able to understand how to fund that or how to resource that is going to be uh, so important. And you know, we're going to lose, uh, unfortunately, you know, numbers of, of minority businesses during this time. And um, and and we're, we should see some gr uh, uh, you know uh, grow out of this as well. But we're going to see a far more number that are that we're going to lose, unfortunately. And um, but we we want to be there to be able to help them try to pivot. And I think that's the biggest thing right now is, you know, how can we help you figure this out? And what is your plan of action uh, to be able to pivot? And, and can you? I think that's going to be a question. Can you do it? Um, you know, um, and, you know, we want to try to provide resources for them to just to be able to, to, to do that. So, um, you know, and I know we didn't talk about, uh, you know, I want to talk about the, the, the CNBC and, you know, oh the Cincinnati Minority Business Collaborative. And I think that's an important, uh, you know, model that, you know, we, we can maybe say for another time, but it's about trying to 
uh, align, you know, minority service providers and to be able to help businesses see a pathway uh, through support and uh, resources to help them, you know, grow as business owners. And, you know, GTMI's position has always been on the first, on that early, on the entry level and that, that startup phase. And, um, you know, we want to continue to build on supporting uh, micro enterprises and micro businesses. Yeah. And I'm sorry about that. I got so sort of wrapped up in what we were talking about that I forgot that we were going to talk about uh, the Cincinnati Minority Business Collaborative yeah. today as well. I mean, you know, how many pounds of flour can you cram in the sack, I guess? So, yes. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I think I think in in I'm talking I'm thinking out loud here and okay. you know, don't hopefully the universe doesn't hold me to account on this. But it might be really cool if we could, because I do think that's a really good model. Um, and that's a model that I want to talk about. So maybe we can look at putting together a group of, you know, you and some of the other leaders from the CNBC to uh, kind of talk about how it works. Okay. I think that's something that we need to, um, it, it'll take a little bit of time to unpack. Gotcha. And it would be really cool to have um, multiple people who who can help under help us uh kind of lay that out okay all right so i appreciate it all right well you know willie you know that um you know i just i've appreciated you a lot for a long time um you know our board uh is is incredibly grateful always for your leadership um and it's good stuff no, thank you. I appreciate what you do. So you you bring a great perspective and the work that you're doing across the country uh, is so important. So thank you so much. All righty. Well, I will talk to you later. I know we got to catch up on that other thing we were talking about. <laughs> okay. um, so I'm going to I'm going to sign off for now. Right. Um, for anybody who's watching, this will be available in both um, um, video and audio format after I you know, can get a little bit of editing done on them. So keep an eye on uh, wiseconomy.com and you'll get links to all of that stuff. All righty. Thanks a ton, Lily. All right. All right. We'll Let's see you. Bye. Bye. This three hours the time to speak the truth, frankly and boldly. Nor need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only